Hi, everyone. How are you going? Good to see you. Uh, there were some interesting and controversial and well-known words in that reading just now. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And if you've been up here before, um, if you saw up here before Luke with that tiny little needle, I was like, wow, I'm pretty sure needles used to be bigger than that. Somehow they've gotten smaller. Um, I remember some years ago watching a comedic debate. They were debating about evil and money. And one of them quoted Jesus' words from this passage to say, money is evil. They said, unless a camel goes through the eye of a needle, rich people are stuffed. And the next speaker then brought out a camel and a needle and declared to everybody, I have our salvation. If we can just get this camel through this needle, we'll all be saved. And um, then he proceeded to try to push the camel through this tiny little eye of the needle, and um, he couldn't get very far. Uh, we're thinking now, over the next five weeks, looking at some of the controversial sayings of Jesus. Did Jesus really say that? Uh, now, a bit of a spoiler, sorry, but for every one of these, he did. He did really say that. But the real question is, what did Jesus mean? Is there more to it than that? Jesus isn't a superficial guy. He's, his words have layers and layers of meaning. And I hope that over the next five weeks, uh, it'll give us a good opportunity to dig deeply into God's Word, uh, to hear about what Jesus has to say about these things. So today we're starting off with wealth. Did Jesus really say that about wealth? And we'll hear today that Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God is greater than wealth. The kingdom of heaven is greater than wealth. He'll, we'll hear that wealth can be a barrier to entering the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is impossible to enter without God. And we'll hear that the kingdom of heaven comes with many blessings and struggles in this life, but the reward is worth it. Uh, now, you might have noticed in our passage, as it was read, the main idea in this passage is actually about the kingdom of God. The main idea isn't about wealth. Wealth is brought into it, but the main idea is actually the kingdom of God. Now, what is the, uh, the kingdom of heaven um, being the kingdom of um, God as well? So the kingdom of heaven is God's kingdom. It's the place where God, God's people enjoy His rule and blessing. So those who trust in Jesus are a part of God's kingdom right now. And one day, uh, Jesus will return to physically establish His kingdom on earth. Uh, now, as this man comes up to Jesus and opens a dialogue about him, about entering the kingdom of God, he wants to be a part of it. He has an excitement, a keenness. He runs up to Jesus, kneels down in front of him, which is a, which is a big sign of respect for a rich young ruler like himself. And um, he asks about eternal life. Now, even though he's king, there is a significant problem. We'll see that his wealth is a barrier to entering the kingdom of heaven. Uh, now, this barrier begins to present itself straight away in a misunderstanding. This man misunderstands how eternal life is received. He says, what must I do? He believes the onus is on him, himself. He has to do something in order to receive the kingdom of heaven or be a part of the kingdom of God. It's almost like he's saying, fill in the gap, Jesus. Tell me, tell me how to do it. I can get eternal life if... What's next, Jesus. The man thinks this is something he can do. Now, Jesus has actually just said, everyone must receive the kingdom of heaven like a child. The kingdom of heaven is not a reward. It's not something that we can earn. 
It's a gift for those who repent and turn to Jesus. Now, hold that thought for a moment. Jesus addresses what the man is asking. But first, he questions the man about calling him good. Because the man says, good teacher. So Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Jesus is trying to get the man to realize something. He's sinful. He can't, this man can't actually measure up to God's standards. No one is good except God, right? The implication being, you are not good. It's a subtle hint. Jesus is saying, you can't make it on your own. And then Jesus returns to the initial question, what must I do? Now, Jesus has hinted at the man's misunderstanding already. What must I do? You're not a good man. No one's good. Why do you think you can earn a friendship with God? But Jesus answers him on his own terms. He kind of reminds me of Bunnings, a Bunnings employee at this moment. Um, Not all the time, but um, have you ever gone into Bunnings and said, I've got this DIY project. I want to put this and this together. You know what Bunnings people tend to do? They say, oh, right, let's figure out how you can put this and this together. They don't question um, your project or how you're going to do it. Like I walked in there with a bit of pine the other day and a bit of metal, and I said, I want to fix this metal to this bit of pine. And they said, um, and I said, I want to use these screws here, but I don't think that they're big enough. And they said, well, the screws that you got there, they're actually for drilling into metal. So we're not going to give you those. Well, let's find you some timber screws. So they, they meet me where I'm at right? I bring to them this project and say, I want this to happen. They say, all right, let's, let's give you the tools to do that thing that you've got. They don't say, let's draft up a plan and take back to basics, right? And this is what Jesus is doing here. He meets the man on his own terms, where he's at. This man walks up to Jesus and says, what must I do in order to be a part of the kingdom of God? How do I get eternal life? If I was to do it, what must I do? And Jesus meets him there. If the man was to gain eternal life from something that the man did himself, something that the man achieved, something he has done, the only way to do that would be through the law. So Jesus says, you know the commandments, and he lists some of them. He says, this gets you eternal life. And the reason that he mentions that is sin brings rebellion. Sin against God, or rebellion against God brings death. If you keep the commandments, all of the commandments, you would be free from God's judgment and anger. So even after Jesus says, uh, no one is good except God, the man says, I've kept all these since I was a boy. And then at this point, Jesus looks at him and loves him. He tells him he lacks one thing. What does he lack? He says, go sell all you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. Well, the man is stunned at this. He goes away sad because he has many possessions. Now, it's helpful as we we think about this to think through a couple of things. Jesus doesn't mention all of the commandments. Jesus actually has left out the first four that talk about relationship with God. Don't have any other gods besides me. Don't worship idols. Don't blaspheme and keep the Sabbath as holy. And Jesus also leaves out the last commandment, which is do not covet. Do not lust after something that doesn't belong to you. Now, in here, I think there's some commands that the man is failing to keep. This man's wealth is an idol to him. He refuses to give it up to follow Jesus. He has a God before Yahweh, and what is his God? 
It is wealth. So is the man really good? Has he really kept all of God's commandments? I don't think so. I think Jesus doesn't think so either. The second thing to consider here is Jesus is making a very specific point. One thing you lack is directly related to the man. And we'll hear this a few times. Uh, Jesus' words are particular to this man at this time. What does this mean? Uh, uh, What does this man, this individual, lack at this time? He needs to give up his possessions. And why is that? They're a barrier to him entering the kingdom of God. He refuses to give them up. Now, one writer has said about wealth, uh, and I wonder if you can agree with this. He says, wealth brings protection against the unexpected. It can bring power over others. Wealth brings the possibility of a self-indulgent lifestyle. Wealth is the most subtle and powerful of false gods. For this man to enter the kingdom, he needs to give up his idol and literally follow Jesus. Entering the kingdom of God on your own strength means fulfilling the whole of the law and not trusting in idols. Now, sadly, the man is unable and unwilling to do this. He goes away sad. This is not a maybe I'll reconsider in a day or two kind of moment. It seems like this is a big rejection because of his possessions. Now, he could perhaps change his mind in the future, but we don't get to see that or hear anything about the man since then. Uh, We just hear that the wealth is a barrier for him becoming a member of the kingdom and accepting eternal life. Now, Jesus uses this um, as as a teaching moment with his disciples. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is impossible to enter without God. So as the man walks away with his, uh, Jesus talks with his disciples, he says, it's hard for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and then he says that famous line, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, now, these words of Jesus are well known. They've disturbed many people because it seems like Jesus is saying, if you have wealth, you're stuffed, right? You're doomed. But what is Jesus actually saying here? There's more to it than this. But Jesus is firstly saying to enter the kingdom of God is impossible. A camel through the eye of the needle can't be done. It won't ever happen. And many of people have tried to water down Jesus' words over the years. There's a few ways they've tried to do it. Some have said Jesus meant the word not. So camel's a mistranslation, they say, that Jesus meant the word not which means that you can't actually get it through the eye of the needle, it'll just take a few tugs. Um, Some have said that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, which was notoriously small, and you could fit a camel through it, but you had to unpack all of the load off the camel, you had to have the camel squat down, and then you could kind of like push it through, and then bring your possessions through, and then saddle it up again. So, not impossible, but really, really hard, and might take a while, right? But both of these... Um, are attempts to water down Jesus' words. The, the gate actually does exist, but it was built during medieval times. So Jesus couldn't possibly have been talking about that gate. The disciples know what Jesus is saying, what a camel through the eye of a needle means. They say, who then can be saved? They understand Jesus is saying the rich can't be saved. It's impossible. And the disciples say, if the rich can't be saved, who can be Because the rich were considered by Jews to be blessed by God. They were considered uh, to have many possessions and blessing 
because they were doing good, righteous acts, and they thought God is repaying those good, righteous acts and blessing them. Jesus says, and here's, here's probably the most important part, Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. And so Jesus brings this, brings this whole conversation full circle. At the beginning, there was a man who thought, um, I can get eternal life on my own. He brings his DIY project to Jesus. And Jesus points out his sin. He shows him his sin. He places his wealth before God. And then, this, and then Jesus diagnoses the problem. Why won't this guy accept eternal life? It's man. Mankind can't do it on their own. It's impossible. Not just for the rich but for all men, it will take an act of God in order to make the way for eternal life. Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, we didn't read it this morning, but exactly after this passage, the next passage after this one, Jesus tells his disciples, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and I'll be handed over to death. Jesus is actually on his way now to make it possible to enter the kingdom of God. It's only through Jesus' death and resurrection that we can enter the kingdom. Jesus needs to deal with our sin. It's impossible for us to keep the whole law. We all deserve to be separated from God. There wasn't a way, but because of Jesus, now there is a way. It's likely this also refers, the work of God also refers to the work of God's Spirit. Uh, the man was unwilling to accept eternal life. He prized his possessions over eternal life. But after Jesus goes back to heaven, he sends God's Spirit who convicts the world and gives people the courage to accept what Jesus has done, the ability, the resolve, the courage to trust in Jesus instead of ourselves. The kingdom of heaven is impossible to enter without God. Now, as we come to our, before we come to our last part of what we read, I think it's helpful now to consider that opening question. Did Jesus really say that about wealth? Must we ditch all of our money, give it all to the poor, and follow Jesus if we want to have eternal life? Jesus says to this man with his DIY projects, who's saying with his DIY project, I want your eternal life. Jesus says, if you're going to earn it, you need to ditch your wealth and follow me. Now, we need to be careful and thoughtful about how we understand Jesus' words. Because Jesus is not saying this is true of all people for all time. The true way of entering the kingdom of God is through trust in Jesus. We say sorry for our sin. We turn to live a new life with Jesus, our King. And then Jesus gives us the free gift of entry into the kingdom of God. We become forgiven and become God's children. So today, if you were to try to follow Jesus' instructions to the man in order to enter the kingdom, it wouldn't work. Because Jesus is calling him to obey the whole law, and he can't do that. Giving all your money to the poor wouldn't give you access to the kingdom of God. Lots of people who don't love Jesus do that. Uh, and also, we can't literally follow Jesus today. He's not actually walking the earth anymore. He's up in heaven. Uh, this man was working off a faulty blueprint. Jesus was saying, if you want to work with what you have, here's how to get here. But the blueprint was broken. Uh, so what does Jesus mean? He meant, he taught, wealth can be a barrier to entering the kingdom of God. 
and the kingdom of heaven is impossible to enter without God. But, but, this doesn't mean that we disregard Jesus' words. We can think carefully about what Jesus says about wealth. In the kingdom of God, there is a change to how you view everything. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is the king. We are his subjects. We enter by repenting, saying sorry for rejecting you, rebelling against you, living as if I was the king. And we say, Jesus, we want to make you our new king. We want to honor you as Lord and Savior. And we give our entire lives over to the Jesus as our king. Living with Jesus as our king means that our entire lives are reshaped. The Bible describes it like this, the old is gone and the new has come. And this will affect everything. It'll affect how we use our time. It'll affect what we love. It'll affect what we watch. It'll affect the words we use, how we drive. It'll affect our attitudes, our passions. And it will even, as this passage hints at, will even affect our use of money. It'll change what we spend our money on. It'll change who we give our money to. It'll change how we save our money. When we save it. What do we save it for? This is all because we're children of the kingdom, living under Jesus' lordship, with Jesus as our king, and we want to honor the king with everything that we have. We want to serve and follow him the best we can, thinking about kingdom priorities instead of our own here and now on the earth. So some things we might not buy, some places we might not go because we're called to use money as God has directed us. And we might invest in sharing God's word because we are called to by God. Now, using money differently is not about gaining entry to the kingdom. For us, once we've come to know Jesus, once we're in the kingdom, we become stewards of our money under God. We use it for His purposes. Uh, now, to be really clear, the advice to this rich young man is not advice for all believers or all people. When we enter the kingdom, we use our wealth to please God, and we need to be careful and thoughtful about how to do this. Uh, now, to, to add to what I've said, this doesn't mean we need to make ourselves poor. Uh, there were godly, rich people in the Old Testament, uh, people who had wealth like Abraham, Boaz, and Job. They're examples of godly, rich men who used their wealth for good. Uh, and we are right to enjoy this, this world that God has made. We also, many of us have financial responsibilities to our families, to the government, uh, maybe to the bank or another person. Uh, in the church, early people were encouraged to work and to use what they had to serve others and love others. Uh, and this doesn't mean you can never spend money on yourself, right? This, but I would say that this calls for very, very careful wisdom. We are very rich even with a cost-of-living crisis, uh, uh, even with um, a housing crisis. We're in a very, very rich part of the world, and we are blessed with much material wealth. Each of us needs to consider 
do I please God with how I use my wealth? In the kingdom of God, we are stewards of everything that God has given us. And this is actually the way that God always intended. When we trust in Jesus, we return to living the way that God has called us to. Uh, Not to earn salvation, but to please God as our king. Now, this is a hard word. It's a difficult word, isn't it? It can bring challenges. It can bring worries. If I use my money the way that God has called me to, will I be okay? Will God look after me? And Jesus addresses this. There's many passages in the Bible that say this. But Jesus says, I assure you, there is no one who has left house, brothers or sisters, mother or father, children or fields because of me and the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields with persecution and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. There is a cost to following Jesus. Some will leave homes for Jesus. Some will leave communities, loved ones, or fields. There's a cost. There's the possibility of persecution. But Jesus says here, it will be worth it. The kingdom of God is worth it. God provides for those who are in the kingdom. Those who leave things receive a hundred times over in this life. And we see this most clearly among missionaries who leave their homes and their families in order to tell somebody somewhere else about Jesus. But I wonder, is this the reality for all Christians? that we are willing to leave what God has given us for the kingdom. God cares for his people and provides for them in ways that they might not expect. We don't need to fear or worry about losing our wealth. We don't need to fear or worry about giving up various possessions and things for God. God will provide. The kingdom of God is greater than wealth. We've heard this morning that wealth can be a barrier to entering the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is impossible to enter without God, and the kingdom of heaven comes with many blessings and struggles in this life. But it is worth it. In the age to come, eternal life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for making a way for your people to come to you through trust in Jesus and what he has done for us. We ask, Heavenly Father, that we wouldn't worry about the cost of discipleship, but that we would willingly follow you in all things. Give us a great trust in you and knowing that you care for us. And we ask that you would give us the boldness and the confidence to do the things that please you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to sing, so please stand.